Welcome to the Harwood Hustle powered by PGC Basketball. We believe in the value of a coach. We're here to educate, empower, and encourage you to lead like never before. This week, TJ and Sam share what coaches need to consider when building a transformational team culture. They hit on topics such as creating buy-in, winning over everything, outside influences, and living it out daily. Before we start, a quick word from Manawatsa. Coach, would you like to have a team full of great shooters next season? We've partnered with our friends at NOAA to bring to you the Hoops app, a free app to help your players measure the trajectory and arc of their shot. They'll get immediate feedback after every make or miss so that they can course correct and become a better shooter faster. Have your players download the Hoops app at thehoopsapp.com forward slash PGC today so that you can have a team full of better shooters next season. Hey, welcome to the Hardwood Hustle. Today we have one that I think is going to be a little bit different, a little bit raw. Um, I wouldn't even call it event session, but we're going to just kind of let emotions roll here. And we're going to talk about some things that uh, people like to talk about, people like to complain about, people like to um, throw out different things from different angles. But we're going to talk about the real culture, not just like, hey, do this in your culture and it'll be better. Not just a step here and a step there, but like, what are the real issues with culture? And this is getting thrown around a lot, you know, uh, John Morant getting in trouble. What's the culture of the Memphis Grizzlies? You know, here at the University of Georgia, we just had something go down where there was an accident, young lady and young man lost his life. And, you know, Kirby Smart's been interviewed about his culture. And then you see uh, what's going on in college sports right here. You know, Will Wade's caught on tape um, paying money to – uh, to players or, or me, making a strong blank accusation uh, or offer to another player. And you got Chris Beard, who, you know, uh, I think we've all seen or read the police report. And, you know, does it even matter? Does culture even matter? I mean, he gets hired at Old Miss. And, you know, we could go on and on. And I think all of us have opinions about this kind of stuff. But what what is culture? I mean, can you have a really good culture and people make mistakes um, does culture even matter at certain levels and how does that affect the trickle down? You know, like you probably see this at your high school or middle school, like if a coach maybe doesn't have a good culture, but they win is all that stuff excused. We're going to dive into all of that right now. Like where should you stand all all this? What should you be thinking about all of this? Does your thoughts on culture line up with where you should be and, and uh, leading a team that really does have a strong culture? So Sam, I know you and I have a lot of thoughts, a lot of opinions about this and, we talk about it often, but we never really talked about it, you know, on a podcast, kind of just raw and uncut. We've kind of been a little bit more polished about the things that we've said and said, hey, here's this thought and here's that thought. But now we're just going to unhinge it a little bit and let's dive into some of these topics. So let's open up with your first thoughts here, Sam. Well, TJ, you you coined this um, a, a few years ago, at one of our first coaching clinics, uh, one of our first PGC Key 5 coaching clinics, you said, a good culture is like a well-functioning family. Uh, and what happens in a well-functioning family? Well, you have a lot of good times. You have a lot of good things. You have laughs. You, you, you celebrate each other. But you also have problems and issues and challenges in a, in a well-functioning family. And But the difference in a well-functioning family versus a dysfunctional family or a well-functioning culture and a dysfunctional culture is your ability to overcome the challenges and struggles and adversity, whereas a dysfunctional family breaks up, 
you know, goes into different rooms, talks about each other behind their back or mumbles under their breath or gets on the phone and calls somebody not in their family or not in their culture and complains and whines where I think a good culture, TJ, faces problems head on and isn't afraid to address the elephant in the room. And so that that's my opening thought. And I know we're going to we're going to get, like you said, a little raw and we'll we'll get personal here and share some challenges we've had and things like that. Yeah. You know, one of the, my original thoughts here is just like, first of all, you have to define like what culture is to you. So I'm just going to say what culture is to me. I mean, culture is really how you show up, how you act, how you behave and how you treat people every single day. You know, let's just be real honest about it. I mean, we cannot go behind the scenes and know everything about every culture. So we are not the people to be judging other people's culture, even though we're going to talk about some cultures today. Because we don't really know. Nobody knows what goes on behind the scenes with my team. They don't know the conversations we have behind closed doors. They don't know what happens in the locker room and the practice facility when people aren't there. But I'll say what culture is not. Culture is just not forward facing. It's not just how you show up in interviews or how you show up on game day to present yourself in front of the fans. And, you know, look, you can make your team do some stuff. After the game, everybody can go pick up trash and throw it away. Like, that's a great thing, right? That's a great thing. Would love to see teams do that more often. Love it when my team does that at the bench. But let's be honest about that. I can make them do that. I can just make them pick up trash. And they can do it, and they can do it with anger. They can do it because they have to. And we put the trash up, and we go into the locker room, and we might not get along. We might not like each other. We might talk to each other respectfully. You can make people do certain things, but your culture really is your behavior, your behavior towards each other, your behavior towards others outward facing in your program or inward facing. And that's how I judge or how I think about culture. How do we treat other people? What type of energy do we show up? What things do we really value? What are we striving to be? What kind of work is going into actually improving ourselves as people uh, towards each other, towards um, our coaches towards whoever it is and how we interact every day. I think that is culture to me. Yeah, I'll build on it. I, I agree with that. I'm, I may say it a different way, but I think it, you're right. It's how you do, how you do what you do, how, you know, you have a culture in your locker room, you have a culture and how you travel on the road, how you treat, you know, the hotel people. When you go into a restaurant, you have a culture and, um, how you talk to each other in practice, how you address, you know, like I said earlier, challenges, adversity. Yeah, I think it, it's just how you do things. And that's where, you know, you have you have you try to have pillars. A lot of college programs do this. You see it with some high school where it's like we have our core values. One thing we're doing right now, TJ, with our BCB, we have a core four and those core four things. And we, we use it. But again, these things don't matter. If you don't live it out, all they do is they make you feel better as a coach because you got them on a locker room or you you've shared it with your parents. Living it out is a lot harder. You know, so, for example, we want to have gratitude. We want to have humility. We want to have a competitiveness to us and we want to be together. Those are our core four: compete together, humility and gratitude. But if we don't live that out, if we don't talk about every day, if we don't model it as coaches and get our leaders to buy into it than it is just on a piece of paper and it made us feel better for for uh for about a minute and then but we don't live it out so you got to live it out 
Yeah. And, you know, so I think one of that, one piece of that is just, you know, casting the vision for what your culture is like. But really the hard part of that is to get buy-in and to actually do it, right? And I think there's one thing we don't talk about enough is if you desire to build a transformational culture, right, you're fighting an uphill battle. I, let me give you a ton of examples here, right? Like, well, let's just look at Will Wade and Chris Beer. I, we do know them to some degree. Um, not great, right? But we, we know them. We've had interactions with them. And, but from the outside looking in, uh, the message was clearly sent. It doesn't matter what you do, what you've done. At the end of the day, you just need to win. And I think even both press conferences were just really clear. Like, we're just here to win. Like, we're not even going to talk about the past issues and all the things that done we've done or whatever. We're just, we're just here to win. That's why we made this higher. Um, I don't even think they hit it. And credit to them for not even pretending, <laughs> you know, like they're just there, they're just there to win. So, you know, coaches see that and that trickles down. Players see that and it trickles down. And we were just fighting a lot of things like the four core pillars you just shared go against the grain of a lot of things that kids are watching on YouTube. I was really enamored reading Pat Beverly, who's an interesting character in himself, talk about John Morant. He said, you know, John Morant has these gun issues and there's been multiple, you know, sources about, you know, just clubbing a lot guns, just different things like that. Obviously, he's made some bad decisions. He owned those bad decisions. Um, and and uh, hopefully John Morant works through those and, and things become better. But Pat Bev had us had Pat Beverly had this to say. He said, um, you know, I think it's just the music these days, which I thought was really interesting. He's like, you know, John Morant's like living out um, all the things that he hears in his music. Like, you know, it, it's cool to carry guns. It's cool to be all these different things. And I think there's a reality to that. Like we are trying to raise kids and build a culture of transformation when there's a lot of things fighting against it, where they can say, well, I've got plenty of examples where it didn't matter. And this player still became an NBA player where this player, this coach still got another job where this, there's so many examples out there of that stuff, but we are fighting the messages that they're getting at home, the message they're getting from their music, the messages that are being sent by people that are being hired. The, you know, all, there, I can go on and on, but to actually live out those things, we first have to get somebody to believe in the vision, like those four pillars that you just said, or anybody coach that has their own pillars, they actually matter because there's a lot of things saying right now that they don't really matter. Well, you know, I think I, we'll go off a little bit on a side road with the John Moran. I'll, I'll speak to that real quick. I think, TJ, that's an interesting – I haven't heard Pat Beverly say that, what you just said. But I do think what you what we listen to, what we watch, is ultimately influencing who we're becoming. And it is glamorized to be a little hard. Like I've heard Shannon Sharp talk about, like, telling, you know, John Morant, like, that's not you. Like, you're not – you know, from the hood or, and that's been a whole discussion, but I do think it's glamorized and for co coaches have to be aware of where kids get attention. So in the basketball culture, you know, things are uh, glamorized to make it about you, right? To hit a shot and put three fingers to the head or pound your chest to dunk and flex on somebody. Those things are glamorized in basketball culture so kids will follow because it gives them positive attention. And we as coaches who care about the team, who care about, 
you know, teaching kids to be a great teammate, to be a selfless leader, things that I think really matter in life, um, then you're fighting against something that they're hearing differently every day. Let me read this from from Pat Bev. I think it's interesting, okay? I think music has a lot to do with this now, you know, especially with this culture. Everyone holding a gun in the video is okay. You know, bling on your teeth is okay. Pants halfway down around your blank is okay. So that's a little like okay now. Back in the day, there was blank on the beach in a silk shirt talking about some, yeah, baby, let's party like we're in the 80s. Everybody had had, uh, those slick shirts on. Everybody was dressed the same. It's a product of what we listen to. The culture now is shoot them up, bang, bang, shoot them up, blank. I got this amount of money. I'm on private jets, blank. Uh, That's what the younger generation is. Sadly to say, it shouldn't be based on our music, but it is mostly based on what we listen to. And that's how it is. And so interesting thought, interesting quote. But there's a reality to that. You know, like you can be preaching a message of being a great opponent, being a great teammate, having humility, having gratitude, you know, praising your opponent, being a good sport, whatever the things that you value are. And they could instantly go into the locker and put on their music that says something completely different, right? They can go watch a YouTube video that says something completely different. They can even go home and get a different message from their parents that is more about the scholarship. It's more about whatever it might be. And so as the coach, we're trying to, you know, create a transformational experience, a transformational culture, and you might have a whole bunch of things pushing against that. You know, and I I think you have to ask yourself the question, what is my role in all of this? What is the role in the cult? What is the role of the culture that I'm going to build? Why am I building this culture. You know, I think starting with that, like, why am I doing this? Like, when I think about my culture, why do I want to build a good culture? Look, I want to contribute to society. I want to produce better young men. I want them to live their best lives. I want them to have valuable and rich relationships. Like, when you really just boil down to, like, why am I doing this? Your why's got to be big. Or you're not going to be able to fight for it because the reality of it is you are fighting an uphill battle. And if your why is not strong, it's really easy to bail on that and just go back to figuring out how to win basketball games. And I think a lot of coaches probably desire to be transformational, but give up on it and just choose to be transactional because it's easier. You know what? I can't beat these parents. I can't beat this music. I can't, I, I, whatever. I'm just going to go ahead out there and coach and try and win some ball games because all of that other stuff is draining. And that's the one thing we've talked about it many times. But what what are you fighting for? Why are you doing your job? Because if that why is not big and deep and powerful within you, you are likely to get suffocated by all of the things that you are fighting against. It can feel like a real endless and hopeless battle sometimes. Yeah, it's a great message. I, I think we lose a lot of good coaches some of our really good friends, TJ, in the last 10 years have left and exited coaching and gotten into administration or got out of it altogether because of that. They let the problems be bigger than the purpose, and your purpose has to be bigger than your problems. I mean, I, I had something probably once a week, every week of the season this year, where for a moment, if I was being vulnerable and honest, self-doubt creeped in. Um questioning why am I doing this like man you know what it ain't worth it like I just and I just coached the season 
I, I didn't get paid a dime. I, I you know, and, and high school coaches, they don't get paid a, a ton of money. They get paid some money for what they do. Um, but there was moments, every, you know, during my season, it's like, and then I had to do what? I had to recenter myself, ground myself, talk to God, get remind what I'm doing, you know, remind myself when I get that text, when I get that email, when I get that conversation before practice or after a game with a kid and, and telling me thank you or parents saying, hey, I just want you to know you, you've done this and this and this and it's impacted my son or my daughter's life. Like, that helps encourage you and it reminds me so that everybody does things differently and sources them and gets motivated, inspired in different ways. But I'm, I'm telling you, man, like you, if as a coach and a leader, you're going to be challenged when you're tra- when you're trying to chase transformation, when you're trying to change lives and you're right, TJ, it's easier to just be like, nah, you know what? Let me just focus on winning the game. Let me just focus on running this drill and practice. Let me just get this offense running better, this defense clicking better. And that's the easier route. And um, because you remove emotion, you remove relationship. And and I, I want to encourage, I think you, you and I both want to encourage leaders. You know, we do have a lot of basketball coaches that listen to like fight the good fight, keep your purpose above your problems and then going back to the culture thing, you can have a great culture and also have problems in the culture that some of this this podcast was inspired by an email I got from a parent who was critical in an email to me. And I, I, I for a moment, I had to remind myself, you know, this was one parent. This is one kid out of uh, out of a lot of kids that had an issue. And I don't even think it's well grounded. That's a whole nother story. But um, my point is, like, you're going to have cracks in your culture. And that doesn't mean you have a bad culture. Yeah. And I remember when I interviewed for the Emanuel job and I'm at a Christian college and it, just being transparent, you and I went to college together and I was no angel. Um, I was not perfect. I made plenty of mistakes. I did a lot of things. And looking back on it, just being real, I think my music influenced me a lot too. Like going back to previous things, you know, I would hear this and do this, and and um, and I, I I was one of those people. And when I interviewed for the job at Emmanuel, which is a Christian college, I, I was real clear to them. I said, "Listen, if you want somebody to bring in perfect Christian kids, which there's no such thing, but let's just say that's what they envisioned, I'm not the guy." You know, I've been through a lot of trials and tribulations and made a ton of mistakes. And I actually think that where I can serve the best is by a big variety of players. And some maybe be that. And I've had that from pastors, kids to inner city kids to, you know, all kinds of different people. And I think I work best with that type of group, a diverse group. I want to be in a diverse situation. But I'm not the right guy if you want everything to be perfect because it's not going to be perfect. And I want the challenge sometimes of helping those that need the most help. And that was really big for me because I might not have gotten the job after I said that, but laying that groundwork was important to be transparent on what I was hoping to do. Now, with that being said, that's how our culture has gone. We've had some amazing kids. I can tell you some stories that would bring you to tears of transformation and things that have just gone so well. Then there's another reality to it. Not every situation has gone perfect. Not every kid has aligned perfectly with our culture. Not every kid was 
impacted, at least in the moment by our message. You know what I mean? I don't always know. There's some kids that I thought never got anything in their four years, but then I fast forward five, eight, 10 years after they graduate and I see them tweeting out quotes of things we would say every day in practice. And and it did matter and it, it did make a bit of a difference. And I, I can tell you, honestly, I get judged on all that because I claim to and want to be a transformational coach. And there are going to be people out there around every corner that are going to try and find something that a kid did or didn't align or wasn't what you, you know, they expect you to be. And they're going to say, well, this isn't working. This isn't happening, which can also be really frustrating to you as a coach, right? Like, and you are going to get judged based on that. So at the end of the day, you really have to go in there going back to like your why and purpose. You really got to be strong anchored in the belief of what you're doing is right and real because there, it will not all go your way. If you're going to get your hands dirty right? Which I think is required of us to make a big change. There's going to be some messy times. There's going to be some situations that don't pan out how you hope they would pan out. There's going to be a kid that makes a bad decision. There's all of that stuff happens even in a good culture, right? And so that can be for a transformational coach can be really defeating. And I would encourage coaches not to let it be defeating, right? Did you fight as hard as you could for the things that you believe would have the most impact And even when you did that, something went wrong, right? That's okay. That's okay. You can only control what you bring to the environment to build the culture every day. So, you know, we've, we've, we've talked about this or hinted or even just said it explicitly, you know, you're going to have outside influences. Maybe it's music, maybe it's movies, maybe it's Netflix that kids are watching. You know, I think back TJ to, a few years ago, I was coaching a, a 15U team, and my point guard was a really good point guard, was a pass-first distributor, really led the team well, took great pride in how they led and distributed the ball and, and spreading the ball around to different guys. And we was going through like a two- or three-game stretch where he wasn't himself and seemed to take some uncharacteristic shots and, and – um I'm sitting with him in the top of the bleachers talking in between games. Well, I come to find out his dad wanted him to score more. So what do you think his dad did? His dad told him, if you score, for every time you score 20 points, I'm going to give you 20 bucks. <laughs> and, the, and the dad, like, and I know the dad, he's, a, he's, I call him a friend to this day. And like his intent was he he wanted to see his son score more like a lot of dads do right you you've been there you sat in the stands with your your kids watching them play and everybody we we think that's the the ultimate judge of a basketball player how much they score well that that was disrupting that was adding toxicity to our culture everything I was preaching about before the game after the game at every practice TJ was getting negated just by a dad stepping in and saying, Hey, I'll pay you 20 bucks. If you, if you score 20 points, this happens a lot in, in coaching and basketball. I don't know if you see it at the college level as much as you might see it at younger stages and ages. I would think it's more prevalent at a, you know, elementary, middle school, high school level, 
But what are do, do you have an example like that, the college or something along those lines where you you've had an example? It's like, man, I've got a great culture, and all of a sudden you see something something's not clicking, and then you you see a symptom of it. But as you dig in, what I say, you know, instead of you just rip the bandaid off, you do some surgery. You're like, oh, there's a there's a bigger underlying issue here than what what even I thought there was. Yeah, I think as coaches, there's times in our career when we think about just like we talk about a lot of friends that have gotten out of it, right, where it's just easier maybe to step away from it because it feels like you're losing so many times. It feels like you're losing with players or with administration or with parents or whatever it might be. Now, in college, and look, either either you – I don't know sometimes whether it's better just to hear it because here's what's going on. If you're not hearing it, it's just saying, it's just being said quietly behind the scenes. Either way it's being said. I mean, that's just a reality. Like we already know what we're getting into. Like if you're going to go be a coach, this is one of the hardest realities. There are way way more haters than there are fans. There are way more people rooting against you than for you. In 99% of situations. And for some people, that's almost just too much to bear in itself. Like, why would I do this? Because who is, you know, the whole Skip Prosser one. I know I've told it so many times, but I just think it's a great lesson. And I won't go through it all the way again. But, you know, goes to a school, 2,000 kids. All these parents like him anyway. He picks the team. Now he's down to 15 kids. Then five starters. He's down to five five kids and 10 parents. And then he gets all the way down to like, the number one, like the number two kid's mad because the number one's getting most of the shots. And then the number one's mad because their kid's not getting the right scholarship offers. You know, and so at the end of the day, the, the moral of the story is coaching is lonely, right? And so when you ask, give me examples, I can give you examples of that. But to be honest with you, I think probably the more impactful and harmful ones are the ones that I can't give you of the parents that I know are really disgruntled of the administrator that I know doesn't want us to do well of the, you know, there's so many more of those examples than the ones that are actually loud. And sometimes it's one we like the message you got the other day from a parent, you know, gosh, you only got one out of 19. And if I was just being honest with you, Sam, like the reality of it is, is like, there's probably five more on there that are more upset than he is that you're not going to hear from. And that oftentimes is the reality of coaching. And that's why I think sometimes it's just easier for coaches to retreat to being transactional because they've come to that realization that there's going to be a lot of people that are rooting against me that are going to be unhappy. And no matter what we do, no matter whether we change kids' lives for the rest of their life for the better, or we win a championship, either one or both, there's going to be unhappy people that didn't get what they want. Well, and, and here, here's the tension. And I was telling Sarah, my wife, this, TJ, and I, I don't know. Yeah, I think this is helpful for coaches and leaders to hear. The tension is this. So, like, coaching to me, and I don't – like, I think, I think it's very personal. It's very personal because it's, it's more than a job. If I worked at the bank, TJ, and went nine to five and I crunched some numbers and I left, this is not a knock on people that are in banking, but it's easier to kind of clock in, clock out. But in coaching, 
you're taking emotions home. You're dealing with real people, real people's lives. And so you live it and breathe it. You you think about it at night. You think about it first thing in the morning. And so it is very personal. And you, as a coach, you've got to have some thick skin. you got to be able to take some arrows and darts and know that you, you'll see some of them. And to your point, you uh, you won't see some of them. And they'll, they'll get you in the back. And so I don't know – you know, you tell me what you think, but how do you balance? And I don't know if balance is the right word. How do you balance between the thick skin, but also being not emotionless? Because if you try to take all the emotions out of it, that, that takes away some of your passion and some of what makes you good at what you do or what good at what I do. And so there's a, there's like a tension there where I've got to, I got to know people are going to be critical and, and take it is what it is approach. But also, I can't, I can't remove all the emotion from it because then that's going to take away from who I am and what, what drives me, what inspires me. And I, I, I think there's just a, a tension there that, that coaches have to kind of think about and be able to work through. Yeah, when I th- hear that, I think about just a, a bridled passion, you know, like just, you know, how do you harness and make sure that that passion shows up right every single day? And look, it goes back to what we've said multiple times, but, you know, that mission, that goal, that desire has got to be bigger than everything else, because if it's not, that flame will burn out, right? And we see it happen all the time. And so at the end of the day, like, Basketball is my vessel. I love basketball. I want to be, um, I want to transform lives through basketball and I want to attack that mission every day. And two, um, I think the game of basketball, when used properly, is so good for growth and development of people. And that's where sometimes I feel a little bit protective of it, you know, like, hey, let's hire the right people. Let's hire good people. Let's put people in these positions that we know are on that mission. Because I also know that basketball done the wrong way can be harmful. You know, players can become so wrapped up in their identity of basketball. Um, you, you can push winning over everything else. You know, we've talked about this many a times. Having a great culture and winning are not mutually exclusive. You can absolutely do both. And I think that if you do not anchor yourself to a really big why and a really big purpose, then all of the other things can be defeating, you know, like I, I, not even things that are personal to you, like to be honest with you and not, I'm not trying to be in judgment of some of these coaches that have been hired lately, but that can be defeating when I know some really good people in the profession that would do a great job. Let, let's just be honest. The two we mentioned earlier, Will Wade and Chris Beard, they replaced two guys that we know to be good people. You know what I mean? They're, they're really good people, not flawless, but good people. And they were replaced and by two coaches and, and, and good coaches. You know, I, I said this, I retweeted this yesterday, but look, Kermit Davis, we've met him, had many interactions with him, whatever. He's a good guy. He's a good coach. I mean, I remember them beating what was Michigan State in the tournament. Like they had a great run at Middle Tennessee. He goes through. 
And he just celebrated his 40th anniversary, his wedding anniversary. Like that's rare. That's hard to do. Like there's, he's doing a lot of great things in his life, but just didn't win enough. So let's hire this other person that in, whether we like it or not, sends a message to kids, you know, like despite what you do, no matter what you do, if you can win, you're going to get this. And that can be defeating to people, even though it doesn't directly affect me. I think there's a lot of things in the game that can be discouraging. There's a lot of things in your own team that can be discouraging. And, you know, I think the main point we're trying to make to coaches here is just, man, that that uh, that passion, that purpose, that why has got to be big. Well, let, let me build on that because I think you're, you're right on that is some coaches are watching that. They're, they're seeing those examples you gave, but they're also seeing examples – in Missouri or Arkansas or up in, you know, Oregon. And they, they're coaching high school in one of those areas. And they're seeing a coach who wins, but isn't transformational, who doesn't treat people well, who cheats, who maybe gets a bunch of transfers and illegally recruits. And they're sitting here grinding away at built, trying to build a strong culture, trying to build, build a strong program. And maybe they got fired after three years. And that, that is defeating. And uh, yeah, I think what you're saying, TJ, is be encouraged by your purpose, regardless of win and loss. And and we're not saying like me and you both, like we're extremely competitive. Me and you will get in fights on ping pong or golf or basketball. Like we want to win and you do have to win in this profession to keep your job. So we're not we're not just saying like build a, a culture that's full of kumbayas and everybody talking about their feelings and doesn't matter. No, we're saying both. The point is don't get defeated. You see people getting jobs that you're like, well, how are they getting the job? And and I'm not, and I'm doing things right. No, you know, lay your head down at night knowing you're, I think, are we still talking about culture that you're building a strong culture that a culture that is changing lives and changing you know, not just now, but for for many years to come. So I think that's what we're trying to say. Yeah. So coaches, I know this might have come across a little bit like event session, and it probably was, just to be honest with you. I think that um, I, I think that there's a lot of coaches out there trying to fight the good fight, trying to use the game of basketball in a really good way while being competitive, while trying to be great at their profession, which you should try and do. Um and I think your players deserve that. You trying to be a great coach, whether it's in player development, whether it's in your systems and strategies, like you should. I mean, I think there's that's the common ground between you and the players. They want to be good at basketball. You want to be good at coaching them at basketball. But the more important big picture is, you know, really um, using the game in a way that benefits everybody. And there can be a lot of tough situations out there. There can be a lot of bad examples out there. And like how we – um, interpret those and how we let those not defeat us, but we stay encouraged in fighting the good fight um, to try and use the game for the right reasons, the right purposes, and use it in the right way. So coaches, one, stay encouraged. Uh, two, really, if you haven't, dig deep into why you do what you do. And if anything, Sam, I know we like to say this a lot, but just double down on what you're doing. Don't let the other part of it pull you away in the other direction. Double down and that you're a transformational coach that wants to make a really big impact and a really big difference, I think it's a really important reminder for coaches. Yeah. Let, let me just say one last thing, too. I know you're wrapping up, TJ, but I think, too, surround yourself with a circle, a tribe. 
it can that that can be a really small circle. Maybe it's one person. Maybe it's three. Maybe it's somebody on your staff or outside your staff. I know I've got a few people that I can call when I do get that email, when I do have an issue, when I feel defeated or I feel challenged, and I can be encouraged by them. It, they might say, "Hey, Sam, man, you, you you're doing a phenomenal job," and it's not some fake praise. It's real. They know me. They know who I am. They know what I'm about. Like, but do you have those people in your life? Um, yeah. If you don't have those people, get them or, you know, listen to this, listen to this, save this podcast, text it to yourself and listen to it when you run into a rut and remind yourself of why you do what you do. We all need to be that. And even the strongest, most confident people, we all have doubt. We all, we all have it at some point. And um, stay true to yourself and, and stay true to your mission. You know, fill yourself with good stuff, too. You know, hopefully this podcast helps with that. But there's a lot of other, like you said, good influences, good people, um, good books. You know, I, I came across a really interesting study the other day that, um, and again, not trying to get spiritual, but people that read their Bible two days a week, right? There was a little bit of an impact on different situations in their life. And in three days, there was a little bit more. Um, but it wasn't hugely significant, to be honest. And But those that read it four days a week or more, there was a significant impact on their lives in positive ways and dealing with problems and all that kind of stuff. And I think the same plays out here. Like You have to spend multiple days, four, five, six days a week, surrounding yourself with good conversations, with good people, with good learnings, with all of the things that fill you up because – it is very easy in the coaching profession to pour out way more than you get poured into. And you cannot neglect yourself and becoming the best version of yourself. And when your cup is full, you'll pour it out on others. When your cup is empty, they're likely to feel that as well. So continue to fill yourself with good stuff, coaches. And I think that that'll be really beneficial in your career. Hey, listen, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Hit us up at hardwood underscore hustle. Um, hey, he is Sam. I am TJ, and we are the Hardwood Hustle. Thanks again for tuning into this episode of the Hardwood Hustle, where we believe in the value of a coach. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at hardwood underscore hustle to stay up to date on the latest episodes and share your thoughts with our coaching community. From the Hardwood Hustle team, thanks again. We can't wait to be with you again next week.